Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Welcome in. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and we're thrilled to have you with us here in the St. Gabriel Cafe this morning, our live and local morning show. As always, Cam Clutter is our faithful barista, and joining us this morning in the cafe will be Father Bill Hahn, Vocations Director for the Diocese, and Sister Charbel, Vocations Director for the Dominican Sisters, Immaculate Conception Province. And today, you guessed it, we will be talking about vocations. So, Bill, uh, I'm sorry, um, Dave. I'm Dave. You're Dave. <laughs> That's Father Bill. <laughs> That's Father Bill. Um, well, someone, could you start us in a prayer? <laughs> Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Father. We love you. We thank you. We praise and adore you. And thank you for this opportunity to be together, uh, to share your love with all of our friends that they may come to know and love and serve you, to be vigilant as they go about their days, uh, to be, to be uh, your face, Lord, uh, to everyone that we encounter today, so that they too may know your love. Mother Mary, the show is yours. We ask for your direction and guidance as we bring all of our friends closer to the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Couple events coming up that we wanted to mention. The 12th Annual Sacred Heart Congress is coming up on Saturday, November 4th. That would be one week from this Saturday, November 4th, at St. Paul the Apostle Church in Westerville. Goes from 8 a.m. until noon. Great lineup of speakers and a special youth program this year for kindergarten and up, uh, provided by the Daughters of Holy Mary of the Heart of Jesus. More information and to register is online at welcomehisheart.com. The following Saturday on November 11th is the Evangelization Summit for the Diocese of Columbus. Res reservations and seats are still available. So go to the org slash summit. Also, just a great day to get together with others in your parishes to learn uh, from the from our bishop about the direction of uh, evangelization for all of his people. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, last time Liz Christie was in here, she told us there were 100 spots open. So. Yep. That was a while ago. So yep. friends, if you're wanting to go, get that registration right away. Get on it. <laughs> and Dave, on I, our website, also, we're oh, promoting yeah. uh, rosaries uh, to defeat uh, issue one. That's right. If you go to our website, stgabrielradio.com, right at the top, there will be a goldish orange button that says, I prayed the rosary to defeat issue one. So join us in that effort. Pray the rosary for, for that and... Let the rest of the community know that you're, you've put that in, and so we can continue to see our rosaries growing and, and how much we've we've prayed for that. Yep, we're keeping count. So so, <laughs> so far, we're at about 52 rosaries, I think, uh, prayed. Yeah, we could so. do better, I think. Yep. <laughs> uh, but Dave, I loved your prayer this morning, and you had mentioned 
um, Our Lady, the show is yours. And I don't know if we've ever shared with our friends, maybe we have, but that we did a consecration to Our Lady specifically for the cafe and for all of our friends listening and just for her guidance. And I don't know, that just struck me this morning. And it's just really encouraging to remember that, you know, the consecration to Jesus through Mary. That was a real special time when we did the uh, 33 day Mm -hmm. uh, Marian consecration uh, in July leading up to our our launch uh, back at the beginning of August seems so long ago, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but to go, to come together each day uh, as a team uh, in the chapel, to we used uh, Father Gately's uh, 33 Days to Marian Consecration. And so we read the reflections, shared our thoughts together, and then uh, prayed together. And it, it was really... A beautiful time, I think, in the history of St. Gabriel as, uh, you know, our, our new team members uh, joined with uh, some of us old folks. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to myself and Cam. As old folks? <laughs> no. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, no, it was just uh, for us to come together and, and uh, yeah, just listen to, I think, what uh, uh, our thoughts were around the show, but then also just to entrust it to Mary. Yeah. And we knew all along that um, through doors opening and doors shutting that, that we were being led to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's a peace that comes when you bring Mary into the picture, yeah. <laughs> isn't there? Yeah, there really is. There's like an assurance. Yeah. Because you give her everything and then she gives you everything. And if she's giving you everything then you can really rest in that. Yeah. And you were able to do a holy hour last night. I was, yeah. So I had a very eventful weekend, and I just found myself just needing that extra time in prayer. And so last night I I went to St. Matthew's. They have, um, I don't know if it's perpetual adoration, but for sure adoration. It is. Okay, perpetual. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went and... It was really just a good time for me to pray and reflect and, you know, give that time to the Lord. And a lot of times I like to journal in in my adoration time. Other Do you have a formula kind of or, you know, a, an agenda, so to speak, when, when you go into a holy hour? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, actually, I had this great learning experience yesterday right before my adoration time um, because it was right after work mm. and like I shared I had had a long weekend so you know my flesh wanted to go maybe straight home and take a nap but I knew I needed some time of of a different type of rest uh, but as I was sitting in the car getting ready to go into the church I kind of just sat there for a while and ended up you know checking my text messages and whatnot and sat there for a bit And I was just like, I'm just tired. I'm just, I don't know if I can go in. And so that's why I kind of sat in my car for a little bit until, you know, I rested and so that I could go in and have a fruitful holy hour. And then I go into my holy hour. And of course, that was so much more restful, Mm -hmm. right? And I left the Adoration Chapel reminding myself, like, you thought you needed time to rest before you went to prayer. But if you come to the Lord, that's where I find my true rest. Right. And 
next that, level rest. Right. And that yeah. should have been obvious, but in the moment it wasn't. And so I think the Lord really used that to show me like, I, I am your place of rest and you don't need to maybe put time off of coming to me because you think you need a certain type of rest. Mm. I am that which you rest in. So that was, yeah, that was just a really good learning experience for me of don't put that off. Just go. <laughs> yeah. My, that, those are good words. My, my holy hour is on Wednesday evening and depending on how I get things together, I will either, I also have men's group on, on Wednesday. So we get together for an hour at uh, at six o'clock. If I'm able to get there early, I'll do my holy hour before men's group. If not, then I'll, I'll go immediately after. And I am a bit more silent coming out of the men's group or have mm. just uh, more of a piece. We, we just spent an hour in prayer and, and, and fellowship. Um, so I'm more prepared, I think, that way going into the holy hour afterwards. If I go directly from work or run from home, then I'm kind of rushing to get there to get an hour in before men's group. And But it's the same thing, just, just to find that quiet. And I don't go in with much of an agenda either. I'll, I'll take scripture with me. I try to keep it as, as simple and, and, and quiet as I can. What's been helpful for me, really started doing it through COVID, was um, I think you call it breath prayers. So I, I pray the Jesus prayer uh, in and out and, and really match it to my breathing. And even on a really stressful day, it'll take a little bit longer. But you know, if I if I come into the into the chapel a little bit calm, to settle my breathing, clear my mind, and then really just sit with the Lord and and have that conversation. Right. And maybe for our friends who don't know, the Jesus prayer is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the breath in and have mercy on me, a sinner. On the mm. breath out. So you'll just repeat that a couple times. Mm-hmm. I like that idea because, yeah, like you said, how many times do we come into adoration after a busy day and we're still thinking about the day or what we need to do? And that sounds like a real opportunity to take a couple breaths, center ourselves, and prepare our hearts to really be before our Lord. And it's directing the mind. It, it, it's so much different. I mean, there's a lot of craziness out there and talking you know, about mindfulness and um, centering prayer, which we have to sanctify these terms, right. I think, and really make them our own. And in, in putting the focus on Christ or bringing Mary you know, into, into the prayer, then you're really positioning your, your thoughts in, in the right direction. And it's just not a case of emptying yourself, right? I mean, it, it's that other um, forms of prayer say, empty yourself of everything. This isn't emptying. It's, it's directing our, our minds and our hearts, our thoughts uh, to God. Right. Letting go Big difference. of, yeah, letting go of maybe some of those busyness thoughts and filling ourselves with the, um, I guess, more heavenly thoughts of, mm-hmm. of directing our hearts and our minds to our Lord and to our prayer. Mm. Yeah. And it, it's also a, I enjoy doing it first thing in the morning uh, as, as well. 
you know, the propensity to check for emails and, you know, texts or whatever, see what happened while I was sleeping. Uh, but to have those first thoughts and, and I know that, uh, the daily offering is, is a good way to do that also. But sometimes it's just taking that time to breathe a little bit and direct and direct a mind in the heart to he who is everything. Yeah. Yeah. St. Ignatius, um, I think before you go into a meditation, if I can recall this correctly, um, he directs, he, he, and, oh, what is it? He, he directs us to say, um, may all of my thoughts, words, um, passions be for your glory and for the salvation of souls. I'm probably get, not getting that word for word. It but. sounded, sounded good <laughs> though, right? But yeah, so he instructs us to start our holy hour that way to, to stop and for the space of a, an our father and of an our father. Yeah. Right. And then to say that prayer and, and to come with a, a grace that we're asking for and then to start our prayer. So all those are kind of the same idea of taking this kind of remote preparation before you enter into your time of prayer. One of the things that has kind of stuck with me since high school. So if that's St. Ignatius's quote, when St. Cam Clutter is, you know, up there someday, <laughs> you can attribute this to me. Although I didn't, it's not from me. I don't know who made this up, but I'll take the credit. I don't mind. <laughs> but we're all just kind of soda cans in that way. And when you open a soda can, you have to give it a second to fizzle, right? <laughs> okay. That like fizzle effect. And so every time I go into prayer, those first like you know, whether it's a short amount of time or even just the first few minutes, taking that time to just let myself fizzle out. Mm. And then once the once, you know, the carbonation is settled, then you can say, OK, Lord, like I, I have, <laughs> you know, prepared myself for you because I've let myself just like settle. Yeah, I love that visual. So what do you do in those first couple minutes then? I do a lot of just like inviting him in. I, I try to start almost every prayer I pray with the words, come Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um he, he comes when we invite him. And so sometimes you only have to say it once. Sometimes you have to say it a few times, you know, to remind yourself. And I don't actually think it's reminding him. He comes, right? But it's reminding me when I say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, that like the, the active participation I have in prayer of inviting the Lord into this space and, and, making myself aware of his presence in the space too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that also work for pop cans? I don't know. Mm. Wait, that's the same thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really appreciate that visual though. That's <laughs> a helpful visual. <laughs> Joining us here in the cafe, we are blessed this morning to welcome Father Bill Hahn. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Any anything to add to our little opening reflection? That was a beautiful on... reflection, and actually, it um, just kind of brought back to mind my own how important adoration was in my own vocation experience, and just sitting there, yeah, and listening. I remember that part of your story. Why don't we pick this? Uh, okay, that, that that up there. You went to Ohio University. Yeah, university, and um, so at that point, I fell away from the faith a little bit during my time at Ohio University. Um, you know, came out of a very good Catholic family, a lot of love of Jesus Christ, um, going to Mass every Sunday. But then, as so often happens, um, especially at that time, there wasn't any you know, campus missionaries. There was no SVO, no focus. That So I drifted away from, from the faith during that time. Uh, 
And then a friend invited me to go to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. And it was during that time at that march, like I had gone to the march, not really. I mean, I was pro-life, but it was more because I wanted to see Washington, D.C. And I thought, you know, we would just get done with this little march and then yeah. we would go on. Miss class for a day or two. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know my thinking. <laughs> Been there, brother. <laughs> so it. As, and if you've been to the March for Life, you know that it isn't just a small gathering or a small march. And so I was just overwhelmed with, with the amount of people there, and particularly the witness of the Catholic Church, of the you know, the statues of Mary being carried, the rosary being prayed, uh, just this, this sense of a great— um, what, what it, it reminded me of is as a kid being taught that the, the church on earth was the church militant. Mm. And so—but I'd never experienced what that meant until that moment, and just the whole church— in motion for such an important cause, just the respect of, of human life. And it was just this feeling of, of becoming alive. And it was, I realized that mm-hmm. like, this is what I've been looking for in the party scene and have not been finding, you know, that this feeling of purpose and aliveness. And so it was after that that I, uh, you know, returned to confession. It had been many years since I'd gone to confession. And then um, that opened me up for the next, you know, round of graces that the Lord wanted to give to me. And the next one was, it was my now my last year of, of college, uh, was to join the Newman Center at that time. And then uh, I was introduced to adoration through, through that experience. Uh, and just listening, um, you know, I went into adoration not knowing what to do. Like, so I didn't have... Was there an invitation there also it, 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 to, to introduce you to this whole idea of of a holy hour or adoration, where did how yeah. did you find out about it? That's a good question. Actually, I found out about it right before um, I joined the Newman Center because I was uh, I spent a summer down in Washington D.C. So after the March for Life, as my faith was coming back to life, um, one of the things I noticed was the great poverty in Washington D.C. And I was like, you know, I want to go back and do something. So that summer, I went back and uh, lived with a group of uh, Catholic students who would go work in the soup kitchen every day mm-hmm. uh, and then in the evenings they would usually go see the sights of washington but there's this one young woman from malaysia who she would never go out with us in the evening she'd always just would disappear and i said like where are you going every evening and she said oh i'm going over to the basilica the immaculate conception and i'm like why are you wasting your time you're in washington dc <laughs> like you can see you know, all these sites <laughs> of the free world and she's like well that's just where i go and so one night it was raining i didn't want to go into into the city either so i walked over with her to the basilica and uh you know, probably some of you have been there. It's a huge, huge church with many, many chapels. And we went in and knelt down at the Blessed Sacrament Chapel. And then I got up and I went and I started going to all the different chapels. I probably spent an hour, hour and a half. And I come back around and up in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel again. And there she is still kneeling in front of the Eucharist. And it was like, what is it that captivates this young woman every night to come here and, mm. and spend time like this? Like, could it really be true what I was taught as a kid that, that this is really Jesus in front of us? You know, and so that was kind of the, what first began to think, make me think, maybe there's something here. Um, so when I came back to the Newman Center and was invited into adoration, that's okay, when, yeah, wow. So at that time, you were still questioning the real presence, Father. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So how did that deeper conversion come about? Of the real presence mm-hmm. understanding. So first through her witness, it began to that opened me up to that idea, to that possibility. And then when I was invited to, um, to go to adoration, we had a retreat um, 
early on in the year at the Newman Center, and they had all night adoration, and so they asked everybody to sign up for for a slot. And my slot was like three or three to four in the morning, and uh, just and whoever was supposed to get up with me didn't wake up, so it was just like me and Jesus, wow. you know, providential. <laughs> yeah, it was really providential. And as I'm kneeling before the Lord, and I'm just like, all of a sudden, it's just like a grace of faith, like the Lord setting me, like this is Him, and I'm. Like, mm. Lord, you've given me everything. You've given me my family, my friends. Like, you've given me everything I have in my life. I want to give back to you. I want to give back to you. And if, and, and that was kind of the first inkling of a possible cause. Like, I just felt like the Lord saying, and I want you to give you know, yourself back to me. Like, I, I want to receive you. Um, and so that, those two, they kind of co- coincided, a deepening of my um, belief in the real presence and then the beginning of recognizing a, a, a vocation, um, recognizing that my life is meant whatever that vocation was to be is meant to be given back to the Lord. Hmm. You said that the first inkling of, of a call to the priesthood, did your negotiations with God begin soon after? Yeah. When, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes after that, after, after I left the retreat, um, actually I was, I was heading back to Logan where I'm from. And when I saw the outline of the city, of the town, so people laugh. I said the city. <laughs> 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 the big, saw the skyline of Logan. I was going, like, <laughs> I, uh, I was like, oh, I, the Lord's not calling me. Like, I'm just, you know, I was kind of I was reminded of all who I was. And like, the Lord can't be calling me to anything. Like, why would he want me to be following after him? And so it started like to push back the idea that I would have any kind of calling. Uh, but then it was again at another, a Youth 2000 event, which was like where the, you know, the Eucharist was in the center of the retreat the entire weekend. Uh, and then once again, in that presence, I just felt like the Lord inviting me to that, yeah, to to put away those um, those fears, which I didn't, you know. <laughs> so then after that, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was, you know. So finally, I ended up going out to a monastery for um, for it was meant to be for the entire like from March through September, but late June, I just felt like the Lord during a mass the scriptures just spoke to me like that i was running from like that i knew i was supposed to go give a year to the seminary like that my discernment outside of the seminary had to end and my discernment within mm-hmm. a seminary had to begin so, mm-hmm. yeah because sometimes people think that you're discerning whether to be a priest um in those stages and you're not you're discerning whether you're called to go give a year to the seminary to discern within seminary that's the point of seminary okay. it's discernment and formation yeah. Good. Good. I'd like to come back uh, to that. I also want to introduce Sister Charbel Joseph, Vocations Director for Dominican Sisters Immaculate Heart Province. Immaculate Conception. Ill- oh, man, <laughs> I was close, so close. close. Immaculate Conception. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here again. Yeah. When did you hear uh, a call? Um, I really felt this conviction that I needed to give myself to Christ more fully after I was confirmed. And I was confirmed um, in junior year of high school. In California. Correct. I got that part right. (laughs) And I didn't know what to do with this this conviction, this feeling. It kind of scared me. So it was Mm. um, a journey of um, trying to reconcile my heart with Christ and... um, trying to surrender my desi- my desires to him. So that took some time <laughs> to do. Mm. Were 
at that point, did you start visiting different communities or were, were you, well, I mean, you were, this was right after confirmation. Correct. So, um, so, uh, growing up, I wasn't very well catechized, so I didn't know much about my faith. Um, although I could recognize that there was something very, very beautiful about Catholicism that you couldn't find in other denominations or, um, other religions. And I dabbled with visiting different uh, Protestant churches just mm-hmm. because I was very curious. Um, but um, I think my my surrender to my vocation really came about because um, of uh, personal study of our faith. Um, so when I thought that I was called to religious life, um, this was during the time in high school where everyone was applying to colleges. And um, I just thought, you know, I can't just follow my friends because I want to be with them, you know, life is greater and I want to give God all of me. So I decided I have to go a different route. And so when I started college, um, I was really begging Jesus to show me what he was, you know, just to, to have some clarity to show me, well, first of all, what is Catholicism? Um, and this was a funny way he um, brought me closer to his church. It was, it was because I in my thirst for truth, I started going to a Protestant Bible study (laughs) group in my school, and I just loved their zeal for scripture, the the word of God. I had never experienced that before, not in the church. I grew up going to CCD, youth group, Um, but they had something that I didn't, you know, have never seen. And so I started going to um, Bible study every week, and I just thought, wow, this is awesome. but there has to be more. Um, they just didn't seem like they had the full understanding of the faith. So I started to um, go to mass more, just started to live a more sacramental life, just also just begging Jesus to show me. And um, this was the time when I ran across um, an advertisement for Immaculate Heart radio station in California. Yeah. And I started listening to more apologetics and I was like, oh my goodness, what? This is my faith. This is our heritage. How come I've never heard this anywhere before? And anyway, there was a disappointment and anger, but also like great joy because this was mine. And um, so I started just learning more. And I think the more I realized how beautiful our faith was, then I was like, well, I can't, I have to throw myself in there. And um, then I started visiting different communities. Was there somebody to help you? In, the, in that discernment, or did you just, you had Google at that time, right? Correct. So <laughs> I did. So I had Dr. Google. I want to say Father Google. That's um, yeah, really, I had no guidance. And um, unfortunately, I like this is terrible to say, but I asked, like I went to the diocese asking for help, and they didn't really know what to do with me. Um, and so I, a lot of that time was um, just praying silently and in solitude, but... God used that time for growth, my growth in faith. So, mm. We're speaking with uh, Sister Charbel and Father Han about vocations. Now you're both in the position and have roles to help young people, right, to discern and pursue a vocation. What what typically is, is that first step? I, I, I mean, are you, Father Han, are you kind of scoping out, keeping your ear to the ground, talking to other priests about, you know, Joe over there may have a vocation. Is there that pursuit or does most of it 
Joe would come to you and ask for help, or is it a both and? It, yeah, in some ways it's a both and. Like certainly we we rely upon priests and lay faithful to be looking and, and praying about who they should say. I think he might make a good priest. You know that, mm-hmm. um, and we always encourage people like the guys that you think would make great husbands and fathers. Those are the guys that you should be saying. I think you make a great priest because that's the heart of mm. the priesthood is spiritual fatherhood. So that's the same characteristics that you would look for in a, a good father and a husband is what we're looking for for the priesthood. So in a sense, we rely upon that that first level um, within the parishes for the people and for the priests to be recognizing. Because obviously as a vocation director, I can't be out in all these places and looking for them and I feel like I'm kind of at the very end of the process, kind of reaping the fruits of what's going on, you know, out in the, yeah. through the evangelization efforts, through the, as people are brought closer to the Lord Jesus, and then uh, they're able to begin to hear what the call is, then I'm, you know, there to help them. And even between me and, and them, there's still another, we have a group of priests called Regional Vocation Promoters, uh, which is every deanery, which is kind of the way the church, this ge- geography is kind of, um, portioned out in a mm-hmm. sense there's there's a priest in that area who's a regional vocation promoter so that there's somebody close to where they live at who they can meet with and begin discussing about the priesthood and about the sermon and then learn about what the opportunities are um, and then eventually i'm kind of usually at the end of the process of okay maybe now it's time to interview a guy to see if um you know it'd be a good fit for our diocese and and for him at this point in his life and then helping them in through that process Father um, Han and Sister Charbel were talking about vocations. And um, Sister Charbel, could you share with us, I guess, under the idea of what what is the laity's role in helping foster vocations? I think that um, they have a role in uh, encouraging vocations mm-hmm. and not being afraid afraid to encourage a young person to say, hey, think about think about the priesthood or hey, think about consecrated life and or, hey, I'm praying for you. I think um, something is stirring in your heart and I think that um, you should you should be open. Yeah. yeah. Father, how can people do that very pastorally, keeping in mind that a vocation is sometimes a very personal, delicate thing? Yeah, I think, I mean, just asking in this sense. So I don't think it's helpful to, to go up to a person and say, I think you should be a priest. Or I think, sure. you know, like <laughs> so don't do don't that. Do that. <laughs> so how often is there like a, a group uh, praying the rosary after mass, you know, daily mass, and they, they single the altar okay, server? Okay. So. okay, can I just share something? So I'm, just, I'm a young person who liked going to daily mass. And so very often I would get, you know, the older people coming up to me after mass, Oh, you'd, you'd make a great sister. You should consider being a sister. And, you know, so I was, and that kind of on, honestly, afterwards, it was very, I got to see that in the light of charity and beauty of like, oh, my community just wants to encourage me. But after hearing it so many times, and I was just like, can I just be a young person who loves the Lord and likes to go to mass? You know, so I I think there is a, a balance there also of being encouraging and loving um, like you were saying, yeah. Father, don't just tell someone, be a sister. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go check out this order. Because <laughs> yeah. actually, you know, that, that young woman from Malaysia was probably the first person in a long time who had said, who would also ask me, have you ever thought about being a priest? You mm-hmm. know, after my experience with 
talking with her about adoration. And then, and it wasn't like you should be a priest or, um, or I know what your vocation is, but just that invitation, which made me think, wow, like, I've just told her that I hardly believed in the girl presence. (laughs) 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 She sees something in me that she thinks would be a possibility of a priest. Like, wow, I guess maybe I should think about this a little bit. That must've been very encouraging for you. Yeah. Not seeing that in yourself, but having someone see that and help foster that in you. Yeah, exactly. And that, and I think that's um, a key piece in this, what the laity can do and recognizing something. And it's always good if they can say something that they see in that person, like, oh, it's, your, your reverence catches me or the way that you um, take care of your brothers and sisters. You have a real fatherly heart, you know, that or something like like something mm. that helps them to see what's what's within them. Um, that's leading you to to think that they might have a vocation or the same with a sister, right? Of, yeah, I see a great um, spirit in you of just the way you pour yourself out for people like it, that's it just reminds me of you know a sister i once knew or something like that mm-hmm. there's some some easy ways to just plant seeds yeah. and the role of the parents too i'm sure is very important yeah it is um you know it's it's interesting the the parents play a, a bigger role often than they think you know of, of that support um for a for a young man or a young woman to know that they are supportive is it I will say that it it helps um, well eases the process you know we have a we have several guys in seminary right now whose parents are we're not you know um, not accepting it's sure. particularly at the beginning a lot of, usually so often by the end of seminary they they see like oh wow my kid's happy and like they're they're flourishing and this is what I was afraid was not going to happen with them going into seminary or going into religious life um, but yeah that that kind of uh, parenting of, you know, son or daughter, we'd be very open to a vocation. We'd support you. Like if that's where the Lord's calling you, what we want more than anything is for you to follow God's will for your life. Um, that's the thing we most want. Like that's, that gives the, the child the freedom, right. And the, and the confidence, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How unusual is it these, these days for a young man or a young woman to have that sort of even in the clarity to take a step forward in a particular direction. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back when I was young, college age, I really, I mean, I was had a college major, but that didn't define kind of where I'd be working the rest of my life. You know what I mean? So is, is to have that clarity at least on on a directional step, how usual or unusual is that? I would say I'm surprised. I've, as vocation director, I've been surprised at the number of youth that are at that level. Like mm-hmm. because yeah. you know, for me being in college last year, my college, and I was still just kind of yeah. struggling to find out. And then I meet all these young people that um, that do have a sense that they have a mission in their life, and they're trying to figure out what that mission is. So it's that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a surprising piece piece of this. Um, being a vocation director. And I don't know, you know, I think there's a lot of good influences in the Columbus Diocese too. I mean, with Damascus and SBO and Focus, and you have like all these organizations and lay groups that are actually forming um, young people to be aware of that they have a mission in this life. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's what Jesus did. Yeah, that is similar. Um, I also experience like a lot of young women that come to our discernment retreat because they're curious and they want to see how we live, which is a beautiful place to be that they're 
even just open and they're not afraid to come. Um, and God works through that. So it's great, even if they're not called to religious life. Well, Dave, I know with your girls, they had the opportunity to just even be around sisters at different retreats and whatnot. Yeah. Was that intentional on your part is getting them to just in in environments where they could even have those questions of, oh, could I be called to this? Or what is it like to be a sister? Yeah. I mean, there was a certain amount of that, but I mean, we're, we're blessed. I mean, that's more of the air that we breathe, you know, and and that's why with, Columbus, I know, sister, you're around the country a lot. How blessed are we here? It, it was just very normal for us when we would, the activities that we did, you know, the places that we went to often had priests and religious participating as well. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't unusual. Sure. Uh, is that, how unique is that to Columbus? I mean, it, it just seems normal. If you, if you want to have an intentional Catholic life, you're going to be surrounded by a lot of religious communities and a lot of uh, priests that are willing to, you know, participate in family life. I think we are blessed here. Would you say, Father? I, I, I certainly feel like that. And talking with other vocation directors, I, I get that sense that, that there's, um, I don't know, a more developed Catholic culture, you might say, or, you know, like um, a more intentional Catholic culture in Columbus. I mean, like this year we were so blessed. I mean, 16 seminarians, like vocation directors, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, well, <it's> really, <laughs> so I don't know, we're doing a whole lot. I'm at the end of this process is getting like all these fruits coming in <laughs> because of what the culture of Catholicism in Columbus is, is producing a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I haven't been really in, I mean, I've been in Columbus most of my life and so you might be able to speak better as yeah, I mean, that... this diocese is amazing, you know, okay. just coming from my experience in California, like not seeing any sisters or. Okay, um... sister, I was just not sure if it was just me because I'm also from Southern California. Okay. Yeah. And I don't think I saw, I saw like physically saw a sister until I went to college at Franciscan University. Right. So when I started discerning, I'm from Northern California, right? Uh, Oakland Diocese. But when I started um, discerning, I remember driving to the city one time and I could have sworn I saw a sister going into a building. I just saw this blue veil and this dress. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like trying to catch the sister. <laughs> I was driving around, like trying to catch the sister. I didn't end up seeing her, but I was like a crazy person. Um, but that's how excited I was, you know, just to see. And um, But anyway, I think what we have here is really amazing. And it's um, like Father pointed out this Catholic culture that's very lively and um, very inviting and that helps people to be open to um, whatever God is calling them to. Well, that's, I, I think our young people are, and they also see a lot of strong families, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and moms and dads intentionally living Catholic lives and, you know, the grandparents are involved and, you know, larger families. And so we're all just doing this Catholic thing together and, and with a lot of joy. And so it's hard not to be living the Catholic life here in Columbus and not be exposed to all the possibilities. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Well, and I like that you brought up all the possibilities and holy families because we actually haven't even talked about that yet. This idea of, okay, well, one, what is a vocation? And two, what are the vocations? Maybe we should just cover the basic grounds, right? (laughs) And maybe that's apparent, but Father, maybe just give us the basics. 
Yeah, so, you know, vocation, right, is a calling from the Lord. It's a calling to how you're going to covenant yourself to him for the rest of your life. So a little bit different than a mission. You know, a mission is something you are called to do for a time or to go out and to serve in some way. But a a vocation is like this covenant for life with him. Um, In the church, you know, we talk about uh, religious life, uh, priesthood, married life, and then dedicated single life where a single person really dedicates themselves and and a covenant, either public or private, you know, to the Lord in a way that they're going to serve him. But it's that way of giving one's life and not just like a year or two years, but like, Lord, here's, here's the rest of my life. Like I'm giving everything to you. Um, so that's vocation. And then um, what was the second question? <laughs> well, that, that, that harkens to the universal call to holiness, right? I mean, yeah. so you have these ways to, to pursue the Lord in varying, we're all called to that. Right to pursue so that's our vocation. universal yeah, vocation, right? Universal call to holiness, and then our vocation. I guess big V vocation is what you were sharing, Father. Yeah. This how we covenant with the Lord. Um, I don't know if this is correct, but I've heard before. Then, like your small V vocation is how you minister, or your apostolate, or your job. Is that correct, Father? Yeah, I think that'd be a way to to put it. That um, so then within yeah within your covenanted way, you have a specific way that you're serving and that one can that can change sure. or not. And, it, and in discernment it's always making sure you're um you're putting that the big v vocation first like the little v should serve the, the big v not the big v serve, you know, mm. serve the little v so um so let's say somebody feels like they would love to teach for the rest of their life um okay then how is that gonna you know that is that gonna be done in the big v married life is it gonna be in the big v okay Vocation life, but yeah, um, and making sure you don't sacrifice the big V for the sake of the little V. And the and our big vocational call then is is how we live out this universal call of holiness. Yeah, that'd be the, the largest V. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Super big V. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, because that's how we give ourselves to the Lord, right? Through through that life of holiness of which is another way of saying, how do I love the Lord back with my whole heart, soul, sure. mind, and body? Yeah. A couple times we've brought up, um, I guess, the word uh, when a young person discerns their vocation. But, I mean, there is a reality of older vocations. And, I mean, what is that process like? And how do maybe, I've even heard women sometimes say, oh, yeah, I, I thought about, you know, discerning before and I just never did and maybe I should have, but... So the people have those things on their heart, and what are what should they do with those? Yeah, so like with religious and priestly vocations, so there's going to be limiting factors, right, to, sure. to know what vocations are actually open to us. So not every vocation is going to be open to everyone. Just like, um, you know, a married or a, a person, it, I guess it depends on the order in the diocese. So in our diocese, um, 50 is usually our, like our cutoff for priestly vocation within the diocese. Um, so a guy who, so a man who is discerning, uh, a discernment point would be if he's 55, then probably at least the vocation of the priesthood in the Diocese of Columbus is not the Lord's will for him because mm-hmm. of the way our, our structure. Now, the religious orders are a little different, right? Like each, there's orders that have um, younger limits, right? And the ones that have older. Right. Some yeah. congregations have um, limit to 30 um, years of age. For us, we have 35 although there are always exceptions, um, and we look at that carefully. Um, so, like, 
father said, if it goes over that, maybe perhaps it's not God's will and they're asking him or God is asking this person to be somewhere else. Um, and at least 18? Yes, at yeah. least 18. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I think in some cases you can get a write-off from your parents for the novitiate. <laughs> is that right? Um, yes, you just need... Of course, your parental um, <laughs> permission. Uh, for us, you need to graduate high school. Mm. So if this person um, has graduated at 16, perhaps it's possible. Um, but I think there's canon law, uh, if I can remember correctly, you can't make vows until you're 18 mm-hmm. or is it 17. So there, okay. there are rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have 15 minutes left. I wanted to talk about each of the, the vocational, kind of the the steps in in going through the, you know, to joining a real a community or joining or receiving holy orders. Sister, for, for your community, what does the vocational process look like? It begins with a come and see, I would imagine. Correct. And there's actually one happening over this weekend. So please pray for us. Oh, wow. Good. Um, Details. So- <laughs> where? where um, here in Columbus? No, it's no. going to be in Justice, Illinois, where our provincial house is. And, um, so young women, when they're looking for the religious family, they come and they spend the weekend with us. They pray with us and we give talks about um, consecrated life or prayer or just things like that. Um, but it's really a way for them to kind of experience um, how we interact with each other and also our prayer life. And with that experience, and they discern, oh, okay, there maybe there's something here and I would like to keep visiting. Um, or like, oh, this is nice, but I think it's not my spirituality, so I have to go somewhere else. Um, but once they do discern that, okay, I think Jesus is nudging me towards this congregation, then I um, ask vocations director, I'm wa- walking with this person closely. Um, they may come visit uh, once or twice uh, again, and then if they discern, you know, it has to be from their initiative. It's not like, here you go, here are the application papers and you need to sign it. No. Um, <laughs> so they, it's it's a walk with the Lord, right? Yeah. And um, so if they, this young woman discerns like, okay, I think I want to keep moving forward. Then um, they ask to have people um, to, to apply and she applies. There's some things uh, she needs to do. Like um, we require a psychological evaluation or physical exam and things like that. And then personal history, we want to get to know her and she speaks with mother. And um, so it's just a slow process, but also just um, a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. Um, if she moves forward, then we, and she gets accepted, then um, aspirancy begins. We set up a date where she can come to enter aspirancy and that lasts for six months. And it's like this transition time from secular life to religious life. Um, she's working and praying with us, but not living in the cloister yet. Um, and then she discerns, okay, I want to keep moving forward at the end of those six months. Then we have a postulancy ceremony and she it's a beautiful ceremony it's like the first time you enter into the cloister um with the sisters uh and you you are walking with um a formator closely so you would have a postulant what we call a postulant mistress and you're with her for a year and now you're learning more about dominican spirituality our um, some of our history in poland our our mother foundress um and also just being with the sisters a lot more and um recreating you know simple things, just being with family. Um, and at the end of that year, you still discern, okay, I think this is beautiful and Jesus is really calling me here. Then um, you enter into 
canonical novitiate. And during this time, it's a very com- contemplative year. We only have one year for our congregation. I know other congregations have two. Um, but for us, it's deepening more um, your theological studies and also learning more about the vows. What does the vow of poverty mean? Chastity and obedience. And so you're um, learning canon law for, the, for those particular subjects and also religious life. Um, and then after, and you're also preparing to make first vows. And after that year, you discern, okay, this is great. Jesus, I love you. I want to keep going forward. And you make your first vows. Um, and then you learn to ha- to walk in those vows with uh, another formator. Um, and it's just really, it takes from six to nine years, uh, depending on your, your discernment, um, to be a full-fledged member of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it takes time. You know, it's not just um, an overnight, yes, here I am. You know, it's really a... Um, this is a way of life and um, it's a, a journey of conversion. And even after final vows, right, you, it's continues to be a journey of conversion um, within the life. So. Now the word charism is used Correct. a lot. Each community has a particular charism. Is it, would that be a, the right way to say it? Yes. So a charism is a gift from the Holy spirit. Right. And for our um, congregation, our charism is to proclaim the gospel, especially to those in most need. So it's very Dominican to proclaim the gospel, but for us then, um, especially to those in most need. Um, so we even are preaching to our residents in the nursing home, yeah, you know, mm. um, as we love them, as we, as we um, serve them and identify their dignity um, as a, a very beautiful human person made in the image and likeness of God. So um, Beautiful. Is the word charism used with the diocesan priesthood? Uh, Not in the same way. I mean, so with the diocesan priesthood, it's um, you're talking about a a man realizing what charisms he has, what gifts he's been given, and then how um, you know going into a a parish or such that he comes in with his gifts, and then he's trying to look at what the gifts that are already there. Um, Whereas religious order priests are discerning, yeah, is this specific charism, like you said, of the Dominicans of preaching, is that something that's really the, the core of my call? Um, mm-hmm. Versus, so with religious life priest, it's a young man recognizing or a man recognizing that there's this specific call to that charism, to the preaching of the Dominicans or the, uh, the poverty of the Franciscans or such. With the assistant, it's more called to, a ge- to serve a geographic area as a spiritual father, might be the way we would say that mm-hmm. that, that is. Now for... Uh, the diocese for the priesthood. So you have men from 18 up to 50, and that's going to look very different depending right on, on their age and where they're starting yeah. the, the formation process. Let, let's, in the, the 10 minutes that we have left, talk about, I mean, is is the norm, so to speak, college age or Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Like, and right. looking at last year's, with the 16 coming in, it was basically... One third, one third came out of high school. There were five guys that came straight from high school. I think there were five guys that came out straight from college or some college, and then five guys that had been um, some time out of okay. college briefly. So it was, okay. so it was wow. interesting that it was spread, and it's, which made me look back at the prior years, um, and it was very kind of similar. It seems like each year there's kind of a mixture mm-hmm. of, of those three three ranges, um, and then. Yeah, so it is a it is kind of a wide variety of, of guys that are in formation. Now, 
those who are in their 40s are usually at a different seminary. In fact, tomorrow Bishop and I are going out to Boston to that seminary where we have Deacon Jason Fox mm-hmm. completing his final year. One level less steps to go up and down. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what the other seminarians make fun of. They call it the, the old the old guy's seminary. <laughs> but um, so, they're, so they're together there. And then we send to both the Josephinum as well as Mount St. Mary's in Cincinnati for our guys that are um, – you know, below 40, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And that depends upon a couple of factors, but, you know, we'll get into it. In the end, both groups of, whether they have a college degree or don't have a college degree, both of those groups will end up studying some of their time at the Josephinum in Columbus, some of their time at, at Mount St. Mary's in Cincinnati. Um, and our, our stages of formation have recently changed. So, and somewhat along the lines of the religious life. So, uh, this year was the first year we implemented what's called the propodeutic stage, which is... <laughs> which means... <laughs> <laughs> so what it is, it's almost like the postulancy that Sister was talking about mm. where that first year of really learning in the religious order, learning about those charisms and such of the order. Um, for the diocesan, it's learning about their diocese. Um, but also what, what the church was seeing is... So St. John Paul II kind of reformed the seminaries along the lines of intellectual and spiritual formation. Like he realized there was a weakness there and that orthodox teaching and orthodox religious practices were kind of left behind mm. in some seminaries. So that was kind of the reform. And then, and then the church was doing really well with that in our seminaries. Very good spiritual formation, very good intellectual formation. But then it was almost seeming like a lot of times the struggles or the problems um, that we were having as newly ordained priests was in the area of leading the people, kind of like human formation kind of things, mm. you know, and so, um, and somewhat with the spiritual. So the reform is along the lines of the human and spiritual formation in particular. Is this universal? Yeah, this is universal. Okay. Um, America is actually about, I think, the last country to implement it because the the main struggle with America and the rest of the church on this was that the propodeutic stage, which is like this first stage, is not meant to be, in the Rome's eyes, it's not meant to be done at the seminary. It's meant to be done in a um, diocese and like a local house. Um, and there would be no no credits, like no um, academic credits. Mm-hmm. The problem in America is that we have a lot of international seminarians coming in, and they have to be on a visa that's a student visa. That they have to have credits. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of guys coming out of college with student loans. They have to have credits to defer those loans. And so that was okay. kind of the back and forth. And then finally, uh, the compromise was that you could have academic credits, but it can't be philosophy. Because philosophy just, it takes up all your time and attention. And they wanted this, this stage to be really about self-reflection, about um, kind of withdrawing from the culture, they usually have a media fast where they're not allowed on their phones or computers mm-hmm. during a lot of this time. Uh, it's meant to be a lot of introspection and a lot of um, things that are helping to work on, like counseling and that. So then after the propodeuic year, yeah. <laughs> did I get that right? Close. Close. Probably, all, right. all right. The main goal of propodeuic well, stage is to be able to pronounce it at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so, so they can complete that. Then the next stage, <laughs> next stage is discipleship, and that's where virtues of following Jesus as a disciple, academic formation, that's when their philosophy is coming in. And if they don't have an undergrad, that's also the liberal arts, mm-hmm. getting all the well, a re- well-rounded undergraduate degree. 
Next step is configuration. That's configured to Jesus Christ, the high priest. So that's where the leadership virtues begin to be worked on. So there's all these benchmarks at each level that used to it was academics that drove it. Like once you completed your degree, now it's these human benchmarks. Like are you showing these virtues? Are you showing these capabilities? And then final stage is called, so configuration stage is also theology studies. And then the final stage is called vocational synthesis. And that's um, now a man will be ordained at the end of his seminary instead of his prior. You know, it's used to he'd be ordained as end of the third year, come back to seminary as a deacon. Now he'll be ordained at the end of seminary, go into a parish, live for six months as a deacon, kind of easing them into the clerical Great. life. Yeah. And then after that, be ordained a priest. So those are some big changes. Yeah, definitely. The biggest changes are in the beginning and the end. So yeah, yeah. this. And what, what's the the time frame then look like from? So now it's if you're coming in without a college. So if you're coming out of high school, it's normally going to be about nine years. If you're coming out of um, mm -hmm. with an undergrad, it's probably going to be closer to seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of years of discernment in both the religious life and in the in the seminary life, like. That's why we always talk about you're discerning whether you should discern in seminary or discern within a religious order more than discerning if you're, you know, absolutely called to these. So it's important to be present there to discern. Yeah, there's just a lot of, a lot of pieces that come in living with that community that's so important to, mm. to effectual, effective discernment. Contact information for each of you, Sister Charbel. How can people reach out to you? Thank you. They can email me at vocations at sistersop.com. Vocations at sistersop.com. Are there still seats in the van for this weekend or is too late for the come and see? Nope, but they can uh, still email me. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. And there will be another come and see in the future. Correct. In March. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Father, how do um, young men reach out to you? So vocations at columbuscatholic.org. Um, but I'd also encourage them to look at vocationscolumbus.org, and that has all the events, the sermon events coming up, including we have a come and see uh, November 9th through the 12th, and that would be for juniors in high school and above, um, as well as there's other events for younger, youngers. Fantastic. I would also add that we have very strong Sarah clubs here yeah. in the Diocese of Columbus. So for our friends that are listening and you're interested in um, – uh, encouraging vocations please look into the sarah club it's a very practical way uh their their charism so to speak is to pray for priests and to pray for vocations so uh just sarah s-e-r-r-a columbus google it and uh and you'll be led in the right direction and november 7th they're also the sarah club's having uh an event at the josephinum for seventh through twelfth graders it's like a luncheon so that'd be another opportunity yeah. good father bill Hahn. Sister Charbel Joseph, thanks for being with us in the cafe today. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As, As it was, was in the beginning, beginning is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. Be with us again tomorrow at 8 o'clock. We're going to be joined by two hard-as-nails missionaries, Jacob and Alex, talking about living in the world, but not of it. God bless you. <laughs>